0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. The
1: middle of chapter, uh, letter four, it's based on the verse that the Jewish people will be redeemed through tzedakah. And he explains that David Amalekh says, King David writes in Psalm 27, that the heart requests, please seek out my face, meaning the inner part of the heart. Because there are two levels. There's the external part of the heart which refers to a love for Hashem, even an, an intense love, but a love that's based on understanding, which he calls the external love. And then there is in the internal heart, which comes from the divine spark that we all have inside of us, which comes from a sense, an instinct, that every Jewish soul has, an instinct for godliness. And versus this inner love, which comes from the inside of the heart, which is like the difference between knowing and experiencing. Knowing is external. As much as you know, as profound as your knowledge is, it's all external. But when you're experiencing it, it's much more personal. That's the inside of the heart. That comes from the The spark of Jewishness that we all have within us comes from the wisdom, the level of sensing or almost seeing or it's just a certain sense that we get, that a Jew gets with anything godly. We just sense godliness. It just resonates within us. We experience it. It's not just knowing it philosophically, abstractly, even knowing it clearly. But it's much deeper than that. It's personal. It's personal experience, experiential. And now we're left with the question on page fifty-two, the second paragraph. The question he's going to ask is if that's the case, if every Jew inherently is born with this innate instinct for godliness, then why don't we why can't we access it? Why don't we feel it? Why don't we experience it? It should be natural for every one of us.
0: The question arises, since this love emanates from a divine spark found within the soul of all Jews, why do they not all attain this level of divine service? The reason that not every person merits this rank in the service of the heart, service from the depth of the heart in the state of communion. That?
1: So that's the question. Why, why, if that's the case, why shouldn't we... We should all have this love naturally and instinctively. We should be conscious of this love. Why aren't we conscious of this love? What's blocking this love? It's there, we know it's there deep down. So why can't we access it? Okay. So let's see what he answers.
0: Is that within this faculty is in a state of exile and captivity. And this is actually the state of the exile of the Shekinah.
1: So he says, it's because this love is in a state of exile and worse, captivity. What's the difference between exile and captivity?
2: You're captive; you can't get out.
1: And exile?
2: You can get out. You're
3: out, but you can't get in.
1: Hmm. Well, the simple difference in exile and captivity is that exile, you're not free to live as you please. You're exiled from your home. You want to be at home and you're basically you're sent away in exile. You're not free to live as you please. Captivity is worse. Captivity mm-hmm. is you're a slave. You're a captive. When they capture you and they enslave you and they force you to work to do things that you don't want to do. If there's one thing, you lose your freedom. Mm-hmm. You can't be where you want to be. But it's worse yet that you're actually enslaved. They force you to work For someone else, that's much much worse than exile. So too, you have the soul is in exile. The soul is in exile. The soul doesn't have the freedom to express itself as it desires. It wants to do godly, live godly, think godly, speak godly, and it doesn't have that freedom, but it gets worse than that. When the soul is in captivity... The soul's energy is forced, is abused and used for negative activity because the body-soul connection, the body and soul are connected for good, for bad, or for worse. They can't free, they can't separate. You can't separate the body from the soul, the ego from the soul. There's a body-soul connection. The soul is within the body. The godly soul is within the animal soul and the ego soul. So you can't help but affect the godly soul. So it's not only if you don't do something godly that your soul is an exile and the soul is not allowed to express itself, like a soul is imprisoned and its hands are bound and tied and it it's not free to live as a Jew and to think as a Jew and to speak as a Jew. But it's worse than that. When the animal soul, the ego soul, acts negatively, you're also schlepping your godly soul into that negativity. The godly soul is present. It's there, and it's affected by the negative activity. You're taking that energy. When a Jew takes his godly creative energy, and he uses it, instead of connecting with godliness, he uses that revolutionary spirit, that godly spirit, that divine, infinite spirit, and instead he uses it to come up with all sorts of isms and all sorts of revolutions that are the antithesis of godliness and nothing to do with anything Jewish, that's even more painful for the soul, because you're taking this Jewish energy, and this Jewish energy is in captivity. It's being used for all the negative purpose. It's increasing the life force and vitality and the energy of all the negative forces. So the soul is not only in exile, it's also in captivity. And this is the idea when we discuss the idea that the exile, the Shekhinah is in exile. Because every Jew carries the Shekhinah inside of them. We, it also refers to on a personal level. That godly spark, that Jewish spark that we have within us, that is the Shekhinah. And when we behave in a way, it's inappropriate, we cause the Shekhinah to go in exile. So the Shekhinah going in exile, God's presence in the world going in exile, the temple being destroyed, the Jewish people being in exile, is a symptom of our own internal exile. Because we are a microcosm, we are a reflection of the whole world. Whatever happens in the microcosm is reflected in the the macrocosm. So when we, in our own personal lives, our own personal behavior, the godly spark is not in charge, is not in control, is not running the show, is in exile. And worse yet, it's in in, in captivity. So as a result, the Shechina, God's presence, goes into exile. The temple is destroyed. Godliness is not, palpable is not manifest you don't sense it you don't feel it it's hidden it's concealed because whatever happens out there is just a reflection of the earth. you know it's like a the puzzle the puzzle is you take you've taken the pieces of the puzzle when a Jew acts appropriately when we follow the Torah it's like we take all the pieces of the puzzle we take all the pieces of the universe and it all comes together and suddenly you see a beautiful picture What happens when you, we don't, when we don't act appropriately? The piece we take the pieces of the puzzle and we just mix it all up, so it becomes like nonsense. There's no coherency. There's no clarity. You don't know where the foot is. You don't know where the where the head is. Who is that that um, modern modern painter? Picasso. Oh, Picasso. So Picasso Mm -hmm. was once looking at his painting. He just spent six months working on his painting, and he looked very unhappy. They asked him, "Why are you unhappy?" He says, "I don't like how the nose came out."
0: <laughs>
1: he says, so why did you change it?" He says, "I can't find it." <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Actually, there was in the Israeli in Israeli Museum in Jerusalem, the Israel Museum. There was a huge portrait, a modern you know modern painting, and um, fifty thousand people passed by the painting before they realized it was upside down. <laughs> <laughs> so when everything is a mishmash and everything is submished and so to, to, to doodled and, because it's a result of our own personal lives our own personal lives are, are in chaos we are submished and we don't follow the Torah we don't, our lives are not consistent, coherent we're not in touch with our souls we're scattered, fragmented all over the place contradictory as a result the whole world becomes confused bemuddled, they don't know if they're coming or they're going, up is down, down is up the Jew is the enemy, these Arab murderers who blow themselves up, mothers who encourage their children to blow themselves up, they're the heroes. The Jews are the source of all the problems, they're the heroes, murderers, low lives. Even the Nazis didn't blow themselves up and it's such a confused, bemuddled world. People don't know up from down, right from left, right from wrong, truth from fic- from, from, from fiction. Palestinian state, there never was a Palestinian people, it never was a Palestinian, it never happened, it never will happen. The whole thing is one big, giant fiction. And yet, when everyone is so confused and bemuddled, this is what happens, but it's a result when we are confused and bemuddled. So, as a consequence, the whole world becomes... So whatever happens out there is just a reflection of what's happening within us. So that when we talk about the are Hashkina, the and Golas, it's because the Shina within us is in it's an exile. The godly spark within us is not clear. It's not coming through clearly. It's not coherent. The pieces of the puzzle, like words, are made up of letters. But only if the letters are in the proper sequence and the words make sense. If you mix all the words around, it becomes a puzzle, a riddle. It's nonsense. It's gibberish. Hashem creates the world with the Hebrew language. But when we follow the Torah, and we pray, we channel the words, and the letters all come out right. Everything is clear. Therefore, therefore, we are blessed. It says if you follow the Torah, the world will be blessed. You'll be blessed, the world will be blessed, because the channels are clear. All the, the energy is flowing where it should be. But when we don't follow the Torah in the Mitzvot, it's like the famous uh, analogy given by the Kabbalist. you come to, there's an island, and the island was perfectly engineered. There's waterways and there's waterfalls and there's canals and irrigation and the most exquisite flowers, and it supports the, the, the fauna and, and the birds and the just beautiful exotic island. A troublemaker comes along. He gets bored and he starts, you know, blocking the canal, puts some uh, sand there, the water can't flow. Well, if this canal can go, the waterfall, the waterfall stops flowing. You come a year later, a whole island looks like a total wreck, because he destroyed everything. He stopped the flow, the channels are not flowing, and the birds are left, and the whole place became completely... He took a paradise, and he completely destroyed it. So the whole world is in our hands. We follow the Torah and the Mitzvah, the godly spark... Is, comes through loud and clear and we're conscious of it and we live a Jewish life and think like a Jew and act like a Jewish people and speak like a Jew then, then the whole world flows clear but when we don't act appropriately then then the whole world becomes confused the Shechina God's presence becomes hidden and concealed <clears throat> And the words, the letters, all get mixed up. And the pieces of the puzzle all get mixed up. And now you don't have that clarity. I think there
0: are one quick point. Are the
2: Jews in Israel in exile?
1: Absolutely. It's the biggest exile. When you're sitting in Jerusalem and you see on top of the Temple Mount, instead of a temple being on top of the Temple Mount, you see uh, an abomination sitting on the Temple Mount. Is there a deeper, darker exile? They feel the exile more than we can ever feel it. They're looking at it. You see God's house desecrated, the temple, the holiest temple, the holiest spot on earth desecrated. You see that the Shekhinah is not present, is not palpable. Is there a deeper, darker exile? Israel is the only place in the world where a Jew is murdered only because he's Jewish. Is there a deeper, darker exile? It's the only place in the world where they exile Jews from their own country. Where where they don't allow. Where you didn't didn't What about the righteous? Jews are allowed to live in Berlin, Jews are allowed to live in Moscow. The only place in the world where a Jew is not allowed to live, only because he's Jewish, and to appease an Arab Nazi who doesn't want to see a Jew in front of his face, is Israel. Is there a deeper, darker, inner exile? Exile is not a physical thing. If it was so easy to if the exile was just about buying an alal ticket, and sometimes there are bargains, you can get it for $600, to buy an alal ticket and move to Israel, if it would be that easy to end the exile, the exile would have ended a long time. The exile is a spiritual state. That's what he's explaining over here. It's a spiritual state. It's not a physical thing. It's when your godly spark is in exile. When you're not in touch with your spark, when you're not in touch with your inner identity, with your inner heart, when you're out of touch, when you lost touch with who you are, you don't have the Jewish pride, you don't have that Jewish conscious connection, you don't feel it, you don't live it, you don't breathe it, you don't cherish it, you don't appreciate it, you don't feel connected with every Jew that ever lived, and you don't feel connected with that you're coming from somewhere, and you're going somewhere, there's a Jewish destiny, Mashiach is coming, and we're in, the of, we're in the middle of the work, we're in the middle of bringing Mashiach, we're in the middle of fulfilling our mission. You don't feel charged with a Jewish mission, with a destination, with a purpose that you are the part of a holy people, a chosen people, and you live in a holy land, and you have a holy way of life, and you have to lead the world out of the darkness and lead them into redemption. If you don't have this sense, that is is exile. Then the godly spark within you is an exile. This inner exile we've been working on for thousands of years. (laughs) This is not easy. To shift from to make the trip from the outside of the heart to the inner part of the heart this is not an alal ticket we've been working on this journey for thousands of years and all the Torah that we've been doing and all the mitzvah that we've been doing is adding up and the accumulation of all the Torah and all the mitzvah that we've been doing is so powerful that any moment any one of us will have the merit to be the Jew to do that last mitzvah that will create that critical mass when suddenly the walls of exile will cave in, will melt, and the inner heart will emerge. But that we'll discuss later later on in the chapter.
0: And this is actually the state of the exile of the Shekhinah. For it is precisely the Shekhinah, which is the spark of divinity that is in one's divine soul. Thus, when the spark is in exile, the Shekhinah is in exile as well. Moreover, being in exile, the spark cannot rouse the soul to serve God with a loftier manner of love that stems from the innermost depths of the heart.
1: So being in exile, the atmosphere of exile does not lend itself. It's not an, it doesn't enable us to be able to access a deeper part of the heart. The whole environment of exile is a very stifling environment. Spiritually stifling environment. It's an environment where it's very coarse very crass. It's an environment, a culture that celebrates crassness and egotism, and the more egotistical and the more crass, and the bigger the liar, and the more superficial you are, the more you will succeed, versus an environment when the Shekhinah is present, when we're not in exile, when the whole environment is holier, more refined, more genuine when people are aspiring to be godly, when society values a genuine person, an authentic person, a godly person. So the whole environment is very stifling, especially when the environment ridicules and opposes someone godly. I mean, Stalin was arresting... uh, Who was arrested by Stalin? If you are a righteous person, you were arrested. The criminals were in charge. <laughs> so, if you're a saintly, godly person. You ended up dead in Siberia, or in exile, or in captivity, or in... it's it's so an environment which truth is not valued. It's cynicism. It's nihilism. <clears throat> it's total de- total degradation. So, it's very demoralizing. It's very difficult. It takes a lot of courage for a person in this environment to stick to his guns. I'm not going to be influenced by my environment. Just because everyone around me and everything around me is degenerating and celebrates their degeneration and is proud of their degeneration doesn't mean that I have to follow in their footsteps. I have the strength to... But it takes a lot more out of you. It's much more difficult. So to be able to access the inner part of your heart under these circumstances makes it even more difficult. So when the Shekhinah is in exile, it also, it also makes it easy. So the, the godly spark also goes into exile. It's much more difficult to release that godly spark.
0: The cause of the exile, of the divine spark of the soul, is as in the words of our sages of blessed memory. When the Jewish people were exiled to Babylon, the Shekhinah went with them. In terms of the individual sparks of the soul, this means that when a spark is in a state of Babylon, i.e. when the individual acts in a Babylonian manner, then the Shekhinah is in exile together with
1: it. And now he's going to explain this in a more profound way, that it's not only, here we're not discussing the obvious case, if a Jew is not, acting like a Jew thinking like a Jew speaking like a Jew obviously if you're doing something immoral you're doing something wrong then we can understand why we cause the Shechina to go into exile but here we're talking about the inner heart versus the external heart and don't forget he said the external heart is a heart that's on fire a heart that feels an intense love for Hashem but it's all based on intellect it's all based on logic and therefore that's external versus the inner part of the heart, which is much deeper, it's experiential, it's a sense, it's a, it's a, it resonates, it's an experiential. There, that's what he calls the Shechina, the inner Shechina within each and every one of us, that's what he calls the inner heart, the spark. So here, he's describing, he's going to describe a scenario where a Jew is observing Torah. He's doing the mitzvah. But it's all external. And he's on fire. And he loves, he loves it. And yet that whole enthusiasm is very external, is very superficial. The shina, the inner part of the heart, remains hidden, dormant, concealed. And now he's going to explain, how is that? Why is that? That's what he wants to understand. We understand when a person is not misbehaving. We understand why you can't access your godly soul. You can't access your godly soul because sin, that's the effect of sin. When a person sins, it clogs your soul, it blocks your soul. It doesn't allow your soul to emerge. So we understand that. If you're not acting Jewish and you're not thinking Jewish and you're not speaking Jewish and you're lying and, and you're slandering and you're, doing, and you're being dishonest, you're doing things that are completely inappropriate, we understand how that could interfere, that can get in the way and doesn't allow you your neshamah to emerge. Because sin dulls the heart, it dampens, it blocks. Ego creates barrier, a barrier. That makes sense. But what he's trying to understand here, and that's his question, is, but here we're talking about a Jew who is observant. He is doing everything that's right. He's thinking like a Jew, acting like a Jew, speaking like a Jew. And he's even doing it with a feeling, with heart. And yet, it's only external. It's only that whole enthusiasm and passion. Sometimes you see people, they're passionate, they're excited. But it's all superficial. It's skin deep. So that's his question. Why in this case can't this Jew access his inner soul? What's blocking him? There's no resistance. He's learning Torah. He's doing mitzvah. He's leading a godly life. He's doing holy things. He's thinking holy thoughts. He's speaking holy things, holy words. What's getting in the way? What's blocking? What's not allowing the inner soul? Why is the inner soul in exile and captivity? And that's what he's going to explain now. This is
0: so because oh, okay. he invested the innermost point of his heart in that aspect of the universe, which is, the opposing counterpart to holiness. Namely, in the soiled garments, mundane matters, and worldly desires, which are known as Babylon, he is thereby banished in the divine spark within his soul, the personal Shekhinah within himself, so to speak. This all pervasive Babylon.
1: What he's saying here is that, yes, we're dealing with a Jew who's, who's, God forbid, he's not violating any prohibition. He's following the Torah. He's leading a Jewish life, but he also enjoys this world. Yes, he enjoys he enjoys this world. He enjoys. He has a passion. He davens with a passion. He studies Torah with a passion. But he eats the kugel and the challah with a passion as well. (laughs) You know, whatever he does, he does with a passion. So, when he's involved in something spiritual, he does it passionately. He's not boring. He likes to do it. Whatever he likes to do, he does it well. He learns, he loves, he loves the learning. He's praying, he loves the prayer. When he's doing something spiritual, finalist, anything spiritual. When he does something material, he knows how to have fun as well. He's enjoying himself also. So, his heart, his inner heart, where's his heart at? His inner heart is not really into the godly and the spiritual, up to a point, superficially, you know, it's comfortable, it's interesting, it's. but where is his inner heart, where is he really connected with, where is he really attached to, it's materialism, and it's one or the other, you can't You can't be in two places at the same time. You can't dance at two weddings at the same time. Express in the Yiddish. You can't dance in two weddings. So where's your innermost heart? What are you really attached to? Really attached to? His real inner attachment is to materialism. It's like the story uh, in the olden days in the yeshiva, they had nothing to eat barely had anything to eat, they would survive because families would take them in for dinner and it was beneficial for the families because they had around the table a yeshiva student and he elevated the whole conversation and it was something the children aspire to. Yeah, aspire, this is a student who's studying Torah. And if not for that, they would starve to death. You know, the yeshiva had nothing to offer them. Anyway, one time this rich Jew comes and he drops off a whole bunch of turkeys He donates a whole bunch of turkeys to the yeshiva. Can't imagine these kids got so excited. They haven't seen meat in, in years or whatever, months. They're finally going to get a, a nice piece of and they got all excited. The rich man, the, the, the donor was very unimpressed. He turns to the head of the yeshiva. he said, "I don't, I don't understand. The reason I donated these turkeys is because I felt I felt for these students. They're so spiritual. Studying, and studying Torah all day, 18 hours a day I wanted to make sure they're well fed but I see they're so excited about this about this turkey they're so excited about this, this meal I thought they're spiritual, I see they're very material he says, look at me I, I eat every day, I eat the best steaks filet mignon and I don't get excited about it I'm very disappointed what kind of education are you giving these children? The rabbi looks at this person he says, let me tell you the difference between you and them. Take away the turkey from them and take away your, your three-course dinner from you. Take away the steaks from you and we'll see who really gets excited. <laughs> you take away, they were excited, it was a novelty. So of course they got excited, why not? But you take it away, okay, we haven't eaten this in years, we won't eat it today also. It's not the end of the world. Our life won't, come, won't fall apart is by you. Take away the luxuries and the luxus that you're used to, and we'll see what real anger is, and we'll see what real passion is, and we'll see how you'll fall apart, because that's your life. It's so deeply rooted inside of you. It's so much a fixture. It's so much part of you. That, this is, and, that and that's why you're not getting excited, because it, this is me. This is who I am. This is my life. This is my pleasure. This is what my life is. So when you see a person externally excited, it's external. And it works both ways. You see, a person in the synagogue is excited and enthusiastic. When you finish learning this letter, realize it's all very external and superficial. A person should not fool himself and think that he's already, uh, you know, grabbing God by the tail, grabbing angels by the tails. It's, it's, It's all superficial. Where is your heart really at? Where is your pleasure really at? What are you truly attached to? In your innermost heart. Is it the material? Or is it the spirit? And the fact that you're not in touch with the inner heart. And the fact that your inner heart is in captivity and in exile and cannot emerge. And you can't connect with it on the conscious level. You've already given me the answer to that question. The reason is because internally, where are you really at? What are you really attached to? What do you really feel comfortable with? Where's your pleasure at? It's with material. It's not with the godliness. That's the truth. And the inner heart doesn't lie. You're either here or you're there. You can't have it both. And that's why the godly soul cannot emerge. So yes, you're doing everything that's right. Your mind is concentrated. You understand godliness. You even develop a feeling an excitement an enthusiasm even a passion could even be an intense passion for godly things a love for godly things but ultimately it's superficial it's not experiential it's not core it's not essential it's not it doesn't touch you very deeply it's very superficial and the moment there's a little resistance then I don't know what's going to happen when things are going smooth then you can't tell the difference between what's superficial and what's not it says in Ethics of Our Fathers, person who's deep-rooted, you have a tree that's very deep-rooted, you have a tree that's very shallow roots. It could be that the tree that has shallow roots has more branches and more f- than, than the deep-rooted tree, which only has a few branches. But you know when you can tell the difference? When there's a hurricane sandy, there's a huge hurricane comes along. All the shallow branches, all the shallow trees, the shallow rooted, are uprooted, the are gone, finished. The deep-rooted trees are the ones that remain, that can withstand any storm. So when things are going well, and there's no great resistance, and there's no great challenges or tests, then everyone on the contrary, you look at the enthusiasm externally, the passionate side, it's very impressive. But it's very shallow, it's skin deep. And you saw that, by the way. You know, Gimel Tammuz. This is the time the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe was arrested for keeping Yiddishkeit in Russia. Gimel Tammuz was when he was sent into exile. And Yud Tammuz is when he was completely released from exile, the twelfth day of Tammuz. This is the time period. And Russia boasted the largest Jewish community, the most active, vibrant. One of the most active, vibrant Jewish communities in the world. What happened when communism came, took over? Especially the Jewish communists? Overnight, Jewish life shut down. What happened? There was no one left. There was nothing left. The ones who carried the torch. There you saw the difference, what separated the men from the boys. The deep-rooted trees and the superficial, the shallow-rooted trees. The ones who kept Yiddishkeit alive. The ones who kept the torch alive through tremendous self-sacrifice. He kept on building yeshivot, hidden schools. My father learned in one of those hidden underground schools. Kept the torch alive. My mother's grandparents kept the hidden mikveh at, at, at risk of death. It was Chabad, Lubavitch, Lubavitch students. Those who studied Hasidut. Those who were connected to a Rebbe. There you saw the difference in the shallow trees, shallow roots. Maybe externally it may have looked very impressive. Enthusiastic and passionate. But the moment of truth came and there was this huge storm. And there's no one to be seen. There's no one to be heard. There was no one to be found. Everything closed down. Everything shut down. Either they ran away or it was all over. The only ones who persevered were those who had the deep roots, who are in tune mm-hmm. with the pintle Yid, with that inner core and essence, that godly spark, the inner heart that we're discussing here. And the reason why every Jew can't naturally access this godly spark, what's interfering, what's in the way, is the fact that we are materialistic beings. We're ego, egotistical beings. And we feel very comfortable. With ego, we feel very comfortable. It feels very natural. Materialism feels very natural to us godliness, as enthusiastic as we get and as passionate as we, as we become, it's still something otherworldly for us. It's still something abstract. It's not totally natural and instinctive. And this is what blocks, this doesn't allow the godly soul to truly shine in all its intensity, and in all its beauty. And that's why the godly soul ends up in exile and worse, in captivity
3: he has thereby banished the divine spark within his soul the person of Shekhinah within himself so to speak to this all persuasive Babylon
1: so Israel versus Babylon Israel is a holy land Babylon refers to on a personal level when a person is engaged in materialism engaged in uh, with materialism and this doesn't this causes the Shekhinah to go into exile this doesn't allow the Shekhinah the inner heart emerge and to radiate and to shine consciously
3: this exile corresponds to the foreskin that covers the covenant and the innermost point of the heart of this is written and you should excise the foreskin of your heart in principle the spiritual service of circumcision is that of repentance with regard to exile our sages teaches that if you repents. repent they will be immediately redeemed. Repentance does lead to the redemption on a personal scale of the divine spark within each individual soul, and on a cosmic scale on the Shehina from their pers- respective exiles. In spiritual terms, the act of circumcision likewise removes a veil of concealment and allows the innermost point of the heart to be revealed.
1: When the verse is referring to you should circumcise the foreskin of your heart, metaphorically, this refers to the the blockage, just like the foreskin blocks and covers up, so the blockage of the heart, which is the materialism, the connection, the passionate connection that we have to materialism. And the Torah says, this is something that we have to do. You should circumcise the foreskin of your own heart. It's something that we have to do to ourselves. This is referring to teshuva. When a person does teshuva, when you repent and you change, you have a change of heart. This is an our power. This is something that we can do. When we do teshuva, then we release we redeem the divine spark within each and every one of us. And when each and every Jew will do Teshuvah, then collectively we will also cause the general shchina, the global shchina, the general shchina to emerge and to surface. So when every person individually is able to achieve, is able to circumcise, will circumcise their own heart, and do their own Teshuvah, and have a change of heart, and allow the inner part of the heart... Um, to emerge, then the Shekhinah will also be able to come out of its hiding. Will be able to emerge in all its glory and all its strength.
2: One circumcision, there are two stages, milah, excision, and Puriya uncovering, which moves respectively the coarse, coarse skin and the thin membrane.
1: First you cut the, the, the thick skin, but then there's also like a thin covering which still covers, and you also have to um, uncover. You have to completely uncover uh, the bris. So there are two stages. One is the cutting of the thick skin, and one is the uncovering of the thin skin. Avram Avinu, the bris that Avramavinu Avinu made, until the giving of the Torah, they only did the first part. They only cu- cut the thick part. But with the giving of the Torah, they began also not only... Cutting the thick foreskin, but also revealing and pulling down the thin, very thin, uh, like skin covering and revealing the, the tip of the bris. And what does this mean on a spiritual level? When the verse says that you shall circumcise the foreskin of your heart, just like circumcision is made up of two stages, so too on a spiritual level, there are also two parts to circumcising the foreskin of your heart. You have to remove the coarse foreskin and the thin membrane. What does that mean on a personal level? Continue with respect.
2: With respect to the foreskin of the heart, which the Torah commands us similarly to circumcise, there are likewise coarse and subtle desires corresponding to the two grades of skin. These two grades of worldly desire respectively require Mila and Pariyah. And if one performed mila, circumcision, without pareya uncovering, it is as if he had not done circum, not been not circumcised. Just as this is the law with regard to actual circumcision, so too is it true when it comes to circumcising the desires of the heart. If a person removes only his coarse desires and does perceive to remove the subtler ones as well, it is as if he has not circumcised his heart at all because after all is said and done the innermost point of the heart is still covered by a garment of thin sackcloth of klipa it is in a state of exile and captivity and there will remain until the individual redeems it by performing the spiritual kriya and removing the subtle desires as well
1: the thick foreskin represents a person's desire for things that are things that are not kosher, things that are prohibited, really coarse desires, things that are completely inappropriate for a Jew. So when a person has these very unhealthy, self-destructive desires, very coarse desires, they do not allow the soul and a neshama, to really assert itself and to emerge. You can't feel your soul when your heart is filled with all these very coarse, coarse desires. Of course, a person who is coarse doesn't even know how coarse he is. It's only when you stop being coarse that you look back and you realize how coarse you are. The pig is in the mud and he loves it. He doesn't realize <laughs> that he's a pig and that he's wallowing in mud. He loves it. A person who is clean, a person will be repulsed and disgusted by it. But a person who is disgusting and repulsive is not repulsed and disgusted by things that are, should repulse and disgust. It just shows how crass that person is. A person is so crass, and he's so content and smug and satisfied with himself, he doesn't even realize how ugly, spiritually ugly he is, and how unbearable, an arrogant, and impossible he is. The person actually is clueless. That's the biggest sign the person is so crass and coarse. So when a person is crass and coarse, nothing can get through. So obviously you have to circumcise the crass and coarse uh, the foreskin in order to connect with your heart, allow your neshama, that refinement, that Refine the shamma to emerge into the surface. But that's not enough. If a person just cuts the thick foreskin and he doesn't reveal, doesn't remove the, the thin membrane, he hasn't fulfilled the mitzvah bris. And Shabbat, he's allowed to go, he has to go back and, and finish the bris because he hasn't done the bris. And what this means on, the, on a spiritual level, this is re- referring to more finer, finer indulgence. In other words, you're doing something, you're not tempted to do something that's sinful. You're doing something that's kosher. You're doing something that's glad kosher. You're eating glad kosher. But the way you dive into the food and the way you indulge in the food and the way you luxuriate and enjoying it. See, even though I may be eating, I may be eating only what's necessary. I may be eating I eat healthy and I eat what I'm supposed to eat. But I get into it and I'm really enjoying it. It gives me tremendous pleasure and that becomes an end and a highlight in itself. That pleasure and enjoyment in something that's kosher. I'm eating disciplined, I'm eating healthy, I'm eating good. I'm not indulging, I'm not eating junk food, I'm not eating... I have the discipline, I have the self-awareness, I'm doing eating well, eating wholesome. But I really get into it. I take it very seriously. And I'm really into the food, and I'm really into the experience. Well, if you're into the experience of materialism, no matter how refined it is, you can't get into the experience of godliness. It's just one or the other. Fire and water. You can't have fire and water together. It's one or the other. Materialism, godly, Spiritual. You can't experience the materialism and really be into it, and at the same time experience the godly and really be into it. The two don't go hand in hand. What about for instance the joy of the Yom Tov? The- Again, because it's a mitzvah. Shabbos. That you should enjoy. Yeah, but it's because it's a mitzvah. But it's also because it's a mitzvah to enjoy. The Baal once showed his students on Shabbat. Whenever he wanted to show them something, he would have them all put their hands on each other's shoulders. He told them to sing a whole bunch of songs. Then he told them to close their eyes. And he put his hands on the shoulders of his two students sitting right next to him, forming a complete circle. And all of a sudden they saw an axe. A huge healthy axe with a huge trimal, you know, those fur hats the Hasidim wear, eating chalot on Shabbos. And, and he was saying, the shame, the shame of for the sake of the holy Shabbos. But the Bashamta was showing his students, even though it was Shabbat, and he was wearing a, he was, the axe, was wearing a, a kapata wearing a Hasidic garb and he was eating it's a mitzvah to eat and every spoonful he said for the sake of the Holy Shabbos but he was eating with such relish he was eating with such pleasure that he became the ox, because wherever your pleasure is that's where you are at pleasure doesn't lie so wherever your pleasure is that's where you're at See, he was so into the ox that he became the ox. it's just a fine line
2: though
1: Having the joy of the it's a very fine line it's a very fine line but it's a huge difference like a difference in a person a person eats and then when he eats he makes a blessing but you can have a person the reason he eats is because he wants to make a blessing so in order to make a blessing you have to eat so what's the main event? the main event is a blessing what excites him is the opportunity to do the blessing To do the blessing, the way I do the blessing is through eating. So the eating is the means and the blessing is the end. Versus the eating is the end. By the way, I'll also make a blessing. I'm introducing something spiritual as well. But that's the icing on the cake. The cake is the eating. That's the main event. But I'm a Jew, so I'm also, I'll mention God, I'll bring God into the picture as well. Versus, no, the main event is the blessing. In order to make a blessing, I need to eat. But I want to bless Hashem. How can I bless Hashem? So let me eat something, so I'll have an opportunity to bless Hashem. It changes the whole experience. It's a whole different experience. Externally, they're both doing the same thing. This one is eating, and this one is eating. But internally, it's a whole different experience. The intent changes everything. Where your heart is at changes everything. One time, the 5th uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who was a little boy at the time, he was three years old, and his brother, his older brother, his Amon Aaron, who was a year or so older, was trying to explain to him what it says in Tanya, that the soul of a Jew is different, the Jewish soul is different than the non-Jewish soul. And the three-year-old, Rishol Dover, was having a difficult time, he couldn't understand it. What do you mean, that the soul of a Jew is different than the soul of a non-Jew? He just didn't understand it. How is that possible? What do you mean? and as hard as, as as hard as he tried to explain it, the three year old just it didn 't make sense to him and the their older sister came running to their father, the fourth He was sitting in the garden studying, and she told him about this whole discussion, so he told her told them to come here he called the children and, and then he called he called Ben Sian was the Caretaker, the Jewish caretaker of the Rebbe's house. and He called him in, he says, Ben did he eat breakfast today? He says, yes. Did he eat well? He says, thank God. He says, why did you eat? What do you mean, why? I should be healthy. Why is it important for me to be healthy? He says, I should have the strength to be able to serve Hashem, to serve God. And as he said it, he sighed, meaning, I wish, I wish I were on that level truly on that level that my whole life was here really to serve Hashem and he dismisses him then he calls Ivan Ivan was the wagon driver the non-Jew who worked in the in the house he says Ivan did you eat today? he says yes did you eat well very well and he's smiling to himself he remembers the good breakfast he had and he says why do you eat? he says I should be healthy why is it important for you to be healthy he says so once a week when I get to go out to the bar I can really live, up, live it up and he's smiling to himself imagining, envisioning his next trip and his ex- escapades the previous time and the Rebbe dismisses him so he says you see the difference this tells you everything here what's on the Jew's mind Hashem why am I eating? Why is it important for me to be healthy? I should be able to serve Hashem. And he sighs that it's not genuine. He's not feeling good genuinely enough. And an un why is he eating? He's eating so he should be healthy. So I should be healthy. I should expand my being. And in this case, it was, so he should be able to go out to a bar, and he should be able to have a good time and enjoy life. I'll never forget the... Uh, you remember in San Francisco... They had the earthquake like uh, 20, 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago. And some bridge, bridge collapsed, I mean some o- over, overpasses collapsed, and people died unfortunately. And what they interviewed, Newsweek interviewed one of the survivors. Newsweek was still around then. <laughs> and they interviewed one of the survivors. And they asked him, what were you thinking? Because he miraculously, his life was saved. He thought his life was over. He said, what were you thinking? when you thought your life was about to end. He says, I was thinking if I could only have one more beer before I die. (laughs) I can promise you, there's not a Jew in the world who's thinking about another beer, the last moment of his life. What that Jew is thinking about is, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Achad. That's a moment of truth. That you see the difference. Where this person is at, and where this person is at what this person's life is all about and what this person's life is really all about. It's the beer or it's about Hashem. But when a person is experiencing materialism and is enjoying materialism, even if it's kosher, and it's a lot kosher, and it's even our Shabbos, and it's Yom Tov, it's a mitzvah, to add, to, add to, it, to it all, it's a mitzvah. But you're enjoying it. You're not enjoying the mitzvah part. <laughs> The proof is, if the reason you're enjoying it is because of a mitzvah, then it's not only this mitzvah that would give you pleasure. Any mitzvah would give you pleasure. There's 613 mitzvahs. You'll be dancing with the joy of any mitzvah. Why this mitzvah you're more enthusiastic than any other mitzvah? Any mitzvah that comes to eating, you come alive. It's not the mitzvah that's making you come alive. It's the eating. Instinct. Instinct. It's the material pleasure. Don't kid yourself. Be honest. If it was the mitzvah that excited you, then you'll be jumping with joy when you put on tefillin Tuesday morning. But there, you're falling asleep. All of a sudden, it comes to the trollant. You're wide awake. And you're ready to do the mitzvah with the hidr, with, with to beautify the mitzvah. I don't need three-course dinner. I need mean, a five-course dinner and get doubles and triples. So let's not kid ourselves. It's not the mitzvah that's motivating and exciting. A you know, person has to be honest with himself. It's the materialism. That's what the Baal Shem showed his students. He was the ax not he was eating the axe he was the axe he became the axe because that's where his pleasure was but this is what he calls the finer the finer it's not the coarse foreskin but this is the finer foreskin the thin membrane that still covers up and therefore it's not exposed the bris is not exposed so too with the heart even after a person gets rid of the thick foreskin so you're not doing anything that's prohibited. You're not doing anything that's wrong. You're not even tempted to do something that's, that's prohibited. You only, all your activities are glatt kosher. But you're really enjoying it, indulging. You're being materialistic and kidding yourself that you're holy and spiritual. You're dressed up in the shtaymol. You're dressed up in the kapata. It's on Shabbat. But you're just deluding so that's the thin membrane that's still covering up and not allowing for the neshama to be exposed. But that interferes. That gets in the way. It interferes. You can't have a revelation of godliness. Just like Avram Avin. Avram could not experience the full revelation of godliness until he had a bris. The foreskin interfered. It, didn't, it doesn't allow the shechina to emerge in all its glory. So too spiritually. As long as we're connected, as long as our bris is connected, as long as we're attached to materialism, and we enjoy materialism, and that's where our pleasure is, it interferes. It doesn't allow the godly soul and godly feelings to emerge and to surface. And even, even if you get rid of the thick membrane, the thick skin, but as long as this fine membrane is still covering it, it's still covering it, still not exposed, still not allowing the neshama to be exposed because you can't either you're attached to godliness or you're attached to materialism it can't be both simultaneous unless you're deluding yourself and if it's both it means that your passion for godliness is external it's the external part of your heart it may look impressive a lot of leaves a lot of very impressive very shallow roots there's nobody home it's all superficial, external. It's not not false, but it's superficial and external. The inner heart, the Shekhinah, the inner heart, the spark, the godly spark within you, is hidden. Because love, spirituality, could be the ultimate ego trip. I'm in love with God. I'm in love with being in love with you. It's not about God, it's about you. So the external heart, and your heart is on fire, that love is not necessarily a truly godly love. It's your love. You've shifted your love. You realize the preciousness of studying Torah, of doing mitzvot, of being a spiritual person. So now, now you became a mystic, you became a holy person, but it's all part of your ego. Spirituality could be the ultimate ego. It's really dangerous. You can delude yourself. And it leads to very negative circumstances. Three of the greatest rabbis, one became a heretic, one became, one became mad, and one died. that's not the effect that it should have on you Rabbi Kippah was the only one who experienced it properly the way it's meant to be because it's very powerful and you can delude yourself and it's all external and superficial it's the inner heart that's godly how do I know that you're truly godly you truly care about godliness that what motivates you and excites you is really what's godly not you but what Hashem wants, I mean, that's what excites you and that's reality to you. The inner heart, if you, as long as you're experiencing materialism, even glott-kosher materialism, but as long as you're experiencing it and you're finding pleasure in it and, and that's your life and that's what you enjoy, that covers up and doesn't allow the inner heart, the godly spark within you, to emerge into surface. Would the inner heart be uh,
3: genetic?
1: inherited every Jew inherits. we all have it that's what he says that's the Jewish soul that's the Jew within us
3: no, but in order to get rid of these membranes so
1: to speak well it's something he says that we have to do in our own we have to circumcise our own hearts um, now every one of us is different some people some of us by nature yes, are more inclined for coarser a thicker membrane for coarser attachments to materialism. Some of us are a little more refined. We get we get to refinement from our parents as well. Some of us are fortunate, so we have refinement that we get from our parents. And therefore, we are um, not so attached to coarseness. It says a Jew by nature. Even our Yetzirah, even our evil inclination, is more refined by nature. That naturally, we're not even... Attached to things that are prohibited by nature. Unless a person indulges so much until you go down the hill and then you can develop a taste for poison, for junk food and for for addictions and for for self-destructive behavior and for things that are totally prohibited. But instinctively, naturally, none of us even, we're not born with that inclination. We're not even inclined how a Yetzirah would never even imagine would never even he, even the Yetzirah even the evil inclination wouldn't even, can't even imagine that we should do something so terrible so he starts out things that are kosher but indulge indulge in those things that are kosher and then you go downhill as a matter of fact the Talmud says that the Yetzirah works first he tells you do this and once he becomes, you take him in as a guest, he becomes a little more comfortable. Before you know it, he's kicking you out of the house, he takes over, and he, he rules the roost. And he's already commanding you, embossing you, before you know it, you become addicted, you can't help it, and he's taking you down to a path of self-destruction, a path with a, de- with a dead end. So the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe asked, why does he say, Talmud says, today the Sahara says, do this. He should have said, first the Yetzirah tells you, don't do this, don't do what you're supposed to do. Or do something that you shouldn't do. He says, "Do this," meaning he's not telling us to do something wrong. He's telling us to do something right. Do this. What's wrong? And he says, "Very something very very profound." And it also ties in with what he's saying over here. As the Yetzirah starts out, he's going to tell the Jew to do something wrong. Yetzirah the Jew will kick him out of that. Kick him out of his house. Are you kidding me? You're telling me to do something wrong? How can I do something wrong goodbye That's not how the yeshiva starts Yeshiva starts do something right learn learn with passion study torah study 18 hours a day study with passion Sounds good Why not What's wrong If you listen the next step will be You'll start doing a small sin, and then before you know it, He has you. He controls you. What does that mean? What that means is, why are you studying the Torah? Are you studying the Torah because it gives you pleasure? That's what the HR is telling you. Do it. It's wonderful. It's fun. I love it. It's pleasurable. It's me. It's who I am. It gives me so much pleasure to be spiritual, to learn Torah, to do mitzvot to be mystical, it's beautiful but don't kid yourself for a second it's not your godly soul that speaks <clears> it's your ego, natural soul so yeah, the heart that's speaks because he's telling you do it because it gives you satisfaction it's your ego everyone has a different ego trip for one person it's to make money and for another person it's to be a mystic it's all an ego trip it's all about me don't kid yourself for a moment that this person is a holy person or a godly person. The person wouldn't know godliness if it stared them in the face. Wouldn't know what a holy means. Mysticism, spirituality could be the ultimate ego trip. It's about me. It gives me satisfaction. It gives me pleasure. It's all about me. It's nothing to do with Hashem. And the proof is, you'll see. Today you'll start, do this. And you'll do it out of ego. And the next thing you know, you start taking liberties. You start doing something wrong. And before you know it, it's a slippery slope. And it's a beautiful story that speaks to this point. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak great Hasidic master. So that generation of Hasidim, their parents were not Hasidim. They were all rebels. They all grew up non-Hasidic. And Rabbi Levi Yitzchak his father-in-law was not Hasidic but anyway, the, he got married the first year after his marriage his father-in-law invites him to lead the congregation, to lead the slichot, for Rosh Hashanah to lead the slichot so in front of the whole congregation, Rabbi Yisrael Braditchov goes to the um, Ahmed, goes to the Bima goes to the um, Ahmed, puts on his talus stands there in his car, quiet suddenly takes off the talus and goes away he takes off the talis. A minute later, he puts back the talis. A minute later, he takes off the talus. The congregation is looking at him as if he's mad. I mean, what kind of behavior? We're ready to start. Everyone is ready. Everyone has the slichas. Start. Atre. Nothing. He's standing there. He's taking off the talis. All of a sudden, he says out loud, if you're the chassid and you're the scholar and you're the great rabbi, you say slichas. And he puts his Talus down and walks away. It was so humiliating. The father was so humiliated. What kind of behavior is this? A young man insulting, standing in front of the congregation, acting so strange. When he came home, his father says, "What? What? what, were you what happened there? What, what happened? He says, I'll tell you. I was about to start slichas. All of a sudden, my Yetzahara is here. My ego soul comes. He says, I want to say slichas with you. Said, really? You want to say slichas with me? How, how could you say slichas? I'm saying slichas I studied in this for so many years I'm such a brilliant scholar I spent 18 hours a day studying Torah where were you? what right do you have to say slichas? go away so the Torah answers right back what do you mean I was there right with you? I also studied Torah with you together yeah but wait a minute I was to Mizrich. I became a chassid of the great maggot of Mizrich. You weren't there, so you go away. I'm gonna say slichus. He says, Really? I was there right with you. Lady so says, if that's the case, if you're the scholar and you're the chassid, you say slichas, and he walked away. But what a powerful story. Mm-hmm. A person thinks he's already catching the angels by the tails. He's climbing in heaven, he's going from heaven to heaven, he's 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 already he's touching the infinite, he's, he's flying high. It's all ego. The Yetzirah says, I'm with you every step of the way. The says, do this. I'm telling you to do this. I'm telling you to be mystical and holy and spiritual and study Torah, mitzvah. But it gives you satisfaction. There's nothing godly there. There's nothing holy about that experience. There's nothing godly about that experience. Don't be fooled for a moment. And it's not by accident that you find many mystics and many deeply religious people are the biggest anti-Semites. Obviously, there's not a shred of godliness to these people. They don't have a spark of goodness and godliness to them. If you need any proof that spirituality and mysticism has nothing to do with godliness and holiness. This is the difference between the external heart and the inner heart. External, it it looks good. It's passionate. I'm studying Torah and I'm doing Mitzanah and I'm even doing it passionately and enthusiastically. It's all shallow roots. It's all external. There's nothing godly there. The inner heart is an exile. The shechina, the godliness is an exile. The egolessness. You look at the face. There's no refinement. You can only fool another fool or someone else who's external and superficial, but you can't fool someone who's real. When you see a godly person, you see the face of the Rebbe, the face radiates godliness, holiness, Hashem's presence. And you meet someone who claims to be mystical and spiritual, and there's not an ounce of godliness on that person's face, not an ounce of holiness, not an ounce of egolessness. Hashem's Shechina is nowhere near, nowhere present. It's all external, it's all superficial. And this is, I mean, when you read this letter, it, it wakes you up to reality. Like you think you're already, you haven't even started. It's external. It's exile. What do you mean? I'm studying Torah. I'm doing mitzvot. I'm doing it passionately. And yet he says you're in exile. The Shechina is in exile. The godly spark within you is in exile. And in captivity. What do you mean? Because it's all ego. And the proof is, yes, you're not doing anything coarse. You're not doing anything crass. You're not engaged in anything coarse and crass. You're busy with holy, with spirituality and mysticism. But when you eat that food, oh, you're eating it with pleasure. It's ego. Your ego is very much alive and well. Your ego hasn't gone anywhere. And your whole, whole, your whole spirituality is all ego. Your inner heart, your inner heart, the, the Shechina, is trapped. is in exile and captivity. It's covered by that thin membrane. That thin ego. It's a fine ego. Because it's a healthy ego. It's a good ego. I'm, not, I'm involved in good things. I'm studying Torah and doing mitzvahs for crying out loud. This would be a paragon of virtue in any society. And in Judaism, we say you're in exile and you're in captivity, there's no holiness, there's no godliness. I mean, what a what a powerful letter, what a profound wake-up call this is, thus. A reminder of what's real and what's not real, what's godly, what's not godly. Don't confuse religion, spirituality with godliness and holiness. And Hashem and Shina. Just because we throw the words around. Hashem is nowhere there. Hashem is nowhere present. Hashem is trapped and hidden and concealed in captivity. So the only way—this is what the verse says you have to do, you have to do teshuvah. And when we do teshuvah, we will circumcise the. We have the power, the ability, by having a, a sincere change of heart, where something shakes us up out of our complacency, shakes up our egos, shakes up our natural soul and we turn to Hashem with a genuineness, with an intensity, that's when the inner Shekhinah, the godliness within us, the holiness could could emerge, be released from its exile, from its entrapment, and be redeemed and released. And that's what the verse says, we have to exile, we have to circumcise the foreskin of our heart, both foreskins, And then the Shekhinah will also be free when every Jew around the world will do Teshuvah. And each and every one of us will allow the godly spark within us to be truly free. Then the collective Shekhinah, the Shekhinah, the whole universe will become, will will be redeemed uh, with the coming of Mashiach.
0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com